Welcome to Hitachi Solutions Podcast. Join us as we talk with our skilled professionals and experts, exploring how customers like you are delivering business outcomes, tackling business challenges, and accelerating their business initiatives, leveraging Microsoft applications and technologies. Hello, welcome to Exchanges, a podcast by Hitachi Solutions. My name is Brad Kuntz. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we're talking about generative AI use cases for insurance companies. So generative AI is, is in the news a lot these days. Uh, and just for those of you who have, who have not been catching up on it, it, it basically is a type of artificial intelligence that creates new content such as text or images by learning patterns from existing data. So it's been making a lot of news now, not just because of its the fact that it's new tech and has new use cases, uh, but because of the results that it's driving. Um, according to McKinsey, companies are seeing a 40% increase in productivity through AI-driven automation. And it seems like the companies leaning into this uh, are not only seeing major increases in market cap, I just have to look at Microsoft, uh, NVIDIA, Meta in the last uh, couple of cycles, but individually, we are seeing real productivity gains, and that's what we're here to talk about today. I have two fantastic guests from Hitachi Solutions to talk about how insurance companies can make the most of generative AI. Jonathan, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Brad. Jonathan Young, industry director focused on the insurance industry. Happy to be here. Happy to get the gang back together again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Stuart, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Brad. Uh, Stuart Morris, I'm the director of R&D. So for the last uh, 12 months, that's been uh, all generative AI all the time. All the time. I know you're, you're, you're living it every day. Um, so insurance. Insurance leaders today are getting flooded with information around AI, around generative AI. So Jonathan, what are some of the considerations that insurance companies specifically should have when starting the generative AI journey? Yeah, that that's that's and we're getting flooded. Our inboxes are getting flooded with requests for those very same topics, Brad. And, and <clears throat> the way that I think of Gen AI is is this: it's twofold. It's either summarizing something or generating something. And so, a lot of our clients, we're advising them, you know, in our regulated industry, how do I contain the risk? I want to use it. I want my employees to use it. A lot of our colleagues and competitors are, are using it. How do I contain that risk? We've seen enough horror stories in the news to know that Gen AI can be uh, used for good and also can, can throw some red flags out there. So how do I contain the risk? Number two, where do I start? You know, the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So small bites, start slowly and really think about how can you incorporate this into your overall strategy? It is, it is as you said, Brad, it's, it's a productivity gain, but it also, there's a lot of people who are, if you're not using it, you're going to be part of, you're going to be left in the dust. So we, we definitely want to get our clients started with using it. And then lastly, how do I control what's going in and what's coming out? <clears throat> so how do I control the inputs to that? You feed the model. You know, you're, you're having uh, employees uh, input data or input prompts. How do I contain what's going in? And then on the, on the other side of that equation, how do I control what's coming out? How do I limit my risk and exposure? 
for what what is what is put out into the ether into public domain, um, and through Microsoft technology, we have secure ways to to endeavor that that request. But that's a great point, Jonathan. I think that you you touch on a very important topic there in general about uh, generative AI, and that's that's using it. You know, kind of the good versus evil uh, use cases that we've got there, and making sure that we're uh, using it ethically but also securely. So, t- talking about uh, the context of containing risk. Uh, Stuart, can you talk about the security implications of generative AI? Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, we, we definitely heard a lot out there in the wild about people that haven't been using AI in a secure and, and responsible way. Uh Microsoft has launched their own versions of the Azure OpenAI models. Uh, You can get the same exact functionality that's available from OpenAI directly. Uh, But unlike the free tier uh, OpenAI endpoints, when you're talking to the Azure OpenAI endpoints, there's no training on your data. There's automatic harmful content moderation built in. Uh, so you get a, a much better sense that your uh, your business users aren't going to be exposed to things that you wouldn't want them to be exposed to. And you know you're not going to be leaking out sensitive corporate data. So I want to just uh, double click on that a little bit, Stuart. When you say that there's no training on your data, can you give us a little more idea about there? Because I think one of the benefits that people see with, with generative AI is the fact that that is learning from the data that it's the data sets that it's working with. It's true. You can actually go through the process of fine-tuning specialized models and the ability to do this sort of traditional artificial intelligence machine learning models that are built for bespoke use cases. You know, it's been around for years. One of the interesting things about the quality of these large language models, such as the GPT-4 model, is that they were trained on so much source data that they can actually accomplish the tasks that you want them to do without any specialized training. Uh, The only thing you need to do is supply them a little bit of customized prompt through a process that people are calling prompt engineering now, uh, you know, with something like a couple of paragraphs of description, you can get them to, to complete almost any task that you want them to do. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Let, let's talk to Jonathan's other point about input and output, and you, and you just touched on that a little bit uh, related to prompts. So can you just expand on why inputs and outputs are so important? Sure. Uh, yeah, we hear a lot of people talking about prompt engineering, and this is definitely something where, you know, if you're working with the the kind of chat GPT window where you're having a conversation with the bot, uh, you know that just typing in some stuff is kind of how you get the response out that you want. Uh, for our corporate customers, this, this isn't enough. A chat interface isn't really what they're after. What they're looking for is a way to build a pipeline, uh, sometimes custom pipelines that can get data out of other systems that they use today and get that fed into the bot as well. So, you know, combining some prompt engineering that that goes on behind the scenes, along with a data pipeline that can make sure that we get the the relevant, uh, correct data, that it's sanitized properly and formatted the way that the bot can understand it and, and generate the correct output from that. That's, that's it. you know, there's the time old adage data, junk data in, junk data out. <clears throat> that, that really speaks to data quality as well. Obviously, it's it's only as good as, as the source data that's being fed in there, Stuart. So I, I think that that is another big consideration that I, that I probably should have put out front is is where are you getting your data that that's very much a consideration as as part of that input is where where's your data what is you know what what status or state is your data in is it ready to be to be consumed by an LOM is it is it ready for for those very you know unstructured uh, or you know queries and prompts that your users will be hitting it with I, I think that's a, a big consideration as well. 
It's true. Yeah, if you've uh, if you've gone through the exercise of synthesizing data sources that you have today, uh, building out your data warehouse, making sure that things are cleaned, accessible, organizable, uh, you know, if you have ways of searching it today, you can you can bring those to generative AI pipelines. Uh, if your data is a mess today, it's it's still a place where you're going to struggle. They're not going to solve that problem for you. A bit challenging, yeah. <laughs> so, Jonathan, that's 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 a really good point uh, as well. Can, can you give us some really specific industry examples where we've seen actual productivity gains. And, and this is a place that I get pretty excited about with Gen AI because uh, I think about a lot of different industry use cases across industry. And I really just just on the surface, and if you've, you know, it, it, everybody listening to this podcast is a customer of insurance of somehow. So you you understand claims processing and you you, you understand the pain points related to that. And you understand, uh, you know, what it's like to to, you know, get a policy at the very beginning. So we're in the I would say the the value chain of, of insurance firms. Where are they getting actual real productivity gains use cases? It's It's everywhere. Brad, it's 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 from from soup to nuts. It, it, it's you know in marketing, it's in you know the sales and underwriting process. It is in operations and claims, and it, it's all it's pervasive. To give you an example, um, we've worked with a number of insurance clients that that are are using you know this generative AI, these prompts that that Stuart had mentioned to talk to their data. And it's talking to claims data, it's talking to operations, underwriting, help me analyze my my you know success, my win-loss ratio based on different combinations of limits and based on you know premium amounts. Help me, it's really helping them hone in on how can I be more successful in what I'm delivering in terms of, you know, whether it's an RFP or whether it's uh, you know, an underwriting process there, renewal. Uh, renewals are, are, you know, big focus of the industry. Obviously, uh, hitting on captured business. Help us, you know, help us get to that end result. Help us find that winning combination a little more quickly. They're they're actually conversing with their data. The end user is none the wiser. You know, they're <laughs> as Stuart said, it's synthesizing these massive amounts of, of data. Uh, and, and then presenting a, a you know bulleted or streamlined approach, and that that is that's another option too, is that you can have these these then output into some sort of proposal document, whether it's a PowerPoint, whether it's a Word, you know, some sort of template. You can you can actually have these you know dump into a synthesized, formatted way that helps me as an underwriter, as a salesperson, presenting this information to our clients. Yeah, that's a that's a, another great point. I think one of the things that you um, you know alluded to there was was these these fantastic use cases. Uh, on one hand, yeah, I think the end customer is none the wiser that this is happening in, in some scenarios, but there's got to be other scenarios where they're they're appreciating the speed increases that have to happen yeah. through these processes because yeah, they're, they're, they're going to get to it quicker, um, and they're going to get through something like a claim. Uh, at a much quicker pace because there's the 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 steps become automated. Very simple. And that, yeah, and that I mean that people, clients, whether you're in personal or, or commercial uh, insurance, clients remember that you know the speed to to, to value and, and efficiency and so the communication. Obviously, to us, we see this as is kind of closing that gap and shortening some of that. And then you wrap automation around it, Brad, and and it, it's really. We see, you know, the transformation in the way that the insurance clients we work with are engaging with their clients. 
the end users, the policyholders. Mm-hmm. It's more communicative. It's more collaborative. And it's also closing that gap of how long does it take for us to respond? How long does it take for us to engage, to communicate an update or a status? That is then in turn translating into renewals. That that closing yep. that gap translates to renewals and and new business as well. Yeah, that um, that's great. I mean, the, these the use cases are are fantastic. It's so easy to see how uh, you, you know how much value these things can add for companies, how much faster they can get through things, uh, less labor intensive uh, stuff like that. But when we look at all of these, I would just call them individual improved workloads. I, w- I would like to get both of y'all's thoughts about this. Talk to me a little bit about how we make sure that those things are aligned to their overall business strategy. How do we untap that strategy and get it aligned with the GNAI roadmap for individual companies? I personally, I, I think it's 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 not it's a supplement. You think of it should be part and parcel of that overall strategy, <clears throat> and thinking of it as another tool in the toolbox for for that underwriter, for that claims person, for someone in operations, for service, for marketing. How can I have that as part of an extension of them? Uh, and, and there's you know plenty of articles out there. An economist said that you know AI is not going to take away your job. AI is going to take away the job, someone who's not using AI. So I think making sure that we're, we're leveraging that and positioning it as a, as a tool in, in a way that they can consume that and, and shorten that gap is paramount. And that's one of the pillars of our responsible AI strategy that we keep making clear to our users is that the the output of these models, whether it's a synthesis or it's a content generation that they're doing for you, you know, we don't want these to go directly out the door. We want them to assist a human who's already performing that job. So any way that we can help expedite these processes, we, we really want to make sure there's always that human in the loop, you know, verifying that the content is correct and accurate, and we're using that AI in a responsible way. It's that six per six person off the bench, Brad. You think about it. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's part of the team. You call on that Gen AI, that AI as as part of and, and you know, obviously again, we're we're not looking Microsoft, for example, doesn't call it call it autopilot, it's copilot. It, it's someone right. that's sitting next to you to assist you to extend your reach. You know, you, you think of how, how there's only so many hours in the day. You know, help me synthesize this information, generate this information. I use it on a day-to-day basis for, you know, client presentations, for catching up on, you know, I was on a plane for eight hours and I caught up on emails by by looking at Gen AI's synthesis mm-hmm. of what I missed. I, I think that's where we're seeing um, a lot of a lot of consumption as well. Awesome, Jonathan Stewart. Thank you so much for your time today and spending time with us discussing generative AI in insurance. And a blast ben. as always. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Exchanges with Hitachi Solutions wherever you get your favorite podcast. You can find our entire episode library on our website at global.hitachi-solutions.com. Thanks. We are Hitachi Solutions, a global team of innovators who support our customers' data and business system modernization initiatives.